I was at the movies recently with my kids and I saw, I don't know if everyone here has seen it, the movie Sing 2. Put your hand up if you've seen Sing 2. Okay. Put your hand up if you cried at the end, like me. I mentioned this, yeah, okay, I'm the only, oh, that's embarrassing, okay. So I cried at the end because I found it a really emotional um, and beautiful, you know, story as well as the music uh, and, you know, the story of the lion guy, etc. But then they bring in U2. Uh, and they bring in that famous song written by Bono, uh, that soul-searching song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Bono says this, I've climbed the highest mountains, I've run through the fields, only to be with you, only to be with you. I have run, I have crawled, I have scaled these city walls, these city walls, only to be with you. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. The author Tony Reinke asked this question in his devotion for Easter Sunday morning. He says, have you found what you are looking for? Like children scattering around a yard for Easter eggs, you and I are on a hunt, he says. We all hunt. Our thirsty souls rummage through every nook and cranny of this world in search of, of shiny pleasures and saccharine delights. Every such joy seeker in pursuit of treasures that will not fade or rust or break or be stolen must pay careful attention to Easter. Not with a not off through the sermon kind of attention, but with a real, earnest, eager attention riveted on Christ. If we miss the significance of the resurrection, we scamper past the greatest joy in the universe. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is an invitation to true and indestructible joy. Could you imagine sending kids out on an Easter egg hunt and they find all the little ones but miss out on the great treasure, the great big Easter egg that's full of all the other Easter eggs? If they found that out, they'd be bitterly disappointed that it had gone to ruin and been lost. Running around this earth, we are all seeking for joy. And we find all these little Easter eggs along the way. We unwrap the shiny, shiny foil and we think, oh, this is nice. And then the flavour goes away. But Easter is an invitation to the great empty egg, the great ultimate prize that we're actually all seeking for. A joy, a contentment, a peace that lasts. A joy, a contentment, a peace that can actually contend with the darkest shadows of life. And a joy, a contentment, and a peace that can out pace the peaks of the highest joys. A joy that is indestructible. And Easter Sunday is an invitation to that joy. The night before Jesus died, he spoke with his disciples and told them that he was going to be betrayed, handed over and killed. That he would be leaving them. They were crestfallen and confused and Jesus, knowing their thoughts, addressed their sorrow. In John 16, he said, 
John says, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is that what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. Women, I'm sure you know that. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. And listen to this. And no one will take your joy from you. How desperately we long for that joy. A joy that no one can take from us. So how do we access and then stay in that joy? We must go hunting. We must go seeking. We must look and we must not scamper past the true source of joy. And if we seek, the Bible tells us, we will find. And that's exactly what our passage calls us to do today that I'm about to read. You're going to see that the angel will tell the ladies who come to the tomb to do this in verse 6. He will, the angel will say, He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. The angel makes an invitation to the ladies and to us, Come and see. Come and see the empty tomb. Because in there is an invitation to indestructible joy. So let me read to you the scripture for today. Matthew chapter 27, verse 62 through to Matthew 28, verse 15. The next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, he has risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers, go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See? I've told you. 
So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Would you pray with me? Our God and Father, we ask that you may bless the reading and preaching of your word this morning and lead us to that joy. Amen. I have one simple point for our sermon this morning, and it's this. Come and see. Come and see. Because the Bible, this text, invites us to come and see so that we will have true joy. We saw in verse 1 that after the Sabbath, after Jesus had died on Friday evening, the disciples and all the women and all of Jerusalem rested for a 24-hour period. And it wasn't until the dawn of the first day of the week, what would be our Sunday, today, the Lord's Day, that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. They sought Jesus' body. They were seeking for some kind of closure, some ability perhaps to anoint his body, give him a proper honour and a burial that would be fitting for their teacher. But as they arrive, we saw in that text that they're welcomed by a very unexpected and glorious scene. Um, and if you come here as a doubter and as a sceptic, it's hard to imagine this taking place. It's hard to imagine because we've never seen an angel come down from heaven. Uh, we've never heard an, even an earthquake potentially. But I just ask that as we read the story, enter into it. And just imagine as if it's true and then you can deal with the doubts and the scepticism later. Look at verse 2. Behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. I love that image. His appearance was like lightning. Try and picture how bright that would have been. We only see lightning for the, the briefest of milliseconds, right? But his very presence was lightning, full, bright lightning. The darkness of the cross, now Sunday morning, Easter morning, resurrection morning, what do we see again? The darkness has gone and light has come. And remember, this is dawn time. This is very early in the morning, the lightness comes. And his clothing was as white as snow. They didn't have nappy sand oxy action. They didn't often have very clean garments, right? So to see garments like this would have been heavenly, and it was indeed. And for fear of him, verse 4, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Now, this is not like I'm on guard at the temple, like I would have been freaking out and in a ball scared. But these are Roman centurions. These guys have seen war. I don't know how many hundred people they've killed. They've been in war, survived war, 
and it wasn't modern war. There were no rules. There was no mercy. They were trained soldiers. Yet, in the presence of heaven, they falter, and they became as though dead. And there's the angel just sitting on the rock, (laughs) chilling out, relaxed, totally in control. The women are there. The guards are freaking out. And verse 5 and 6, But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus. Again, that word, seeking, who was crucified. It really happened. Jesus really died. He didn't just faint on the cross. He was killed, exterminated. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come. See the place where he lay. Jesus predicted three times in his life that he would be handed over, betrayed, crucified, die, and be raised again. And now it has all come gloriously true, as he said. They're looking for a dead body to give it honor. But Jesus has risen from the grave. And the angel invites them to come and see the place. He he invites them to come and investigate. Far more glorious than the body of their dead teacher, he wants them to see an empty tomb. He wants them to go in, stoop down into this tomb and pick up those clothes that Jesus was buried in. You see, the Bible is not afraid of inquisitive searches. You don't have to take your brain out and then that's how you become a Christian is just by losing your mind and becoming dumb. The angels invite them in to go investigate the proof. They they don't even just say, just trust in my word alone. Come and have a look. Come and check it out. In fact, you noticed in the Bible reading, it's sandwiched by two contrary opinions to what happened in the resurrection. The Bible's not afraid of the facts because the fact is the tomb was empty. And no one's ever been able to adequately explain how that tomb got empty other than the miraculous and supernatural truth that maybe Jesus really did rise from the dead. And so the angels are invited in. Uh, Sorry, the angel invite in the women. And there they are holding the linen shroud that um, Joseph of Arimathea buried him in. There's various theories as to what happened in that empty tomb. You can investigate them for yourself after the service and I can talk to you about them. That sentence, though, is not just an investigation into the facts. The angels are actually inviting them, sorry, not invite invitation to the facts. It's an invitation to joy. Those grave clothes prove Jesus' resurrection, but they also are a clue, a hint, a riddle of something better to come. This morning we woke up in the Spring family and we began with the Bible. We read this text and then we did a Easter egg hunt. And the way my uh, wife planned it this morning was that there was 10 clues that she pulled off the internet and we printed off and stuck around the house. And each clue was a hint to the next clue, to the next clue, to the next clue, to the next clue, to eventually lead them to the great joy of finding the Easter eggs. And that's what the angels are saying. Come and look at these clothes. They're a riddle. They're a clue to something even greater. We don't just believe in an empty tomb. 
Christianity, you know, friends, we're not here because there was an empty tomb. We don't know where that body went. (laughs) We're here because the empty tomb is a clue that leads us to the great prize, which is Jesus Christ himself resurrected. Look at their reaction, verse 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear, like reverential awe, I cannot believe it-ness-ness, and great joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Fear and great joy comes from seeking for true joy. And they bolt. They go now to spread the good news. And then the most amazing thing happens. Verse 9. Matthew wants us to pay attention to it. Behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. Or in alternate translation, rejoice or hail. (laughs) Hi, I'm here. It's a triumphant announcement. And look at their reaction. They came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Their fulfilment of their joy, their wonder, the clues, leads them to Jesus. They meet Jesus. They see him. And what's their reaction? They fall on their knees and they hold his resurrected feet. Those feet that were there not that long before, holding him up on a cross. Those feet that were pierced by Roman nails for our sins, for their sins, they now fall at his feet and he's no ghost. He's no apparition. He's no hallucination. He's the real deal, real feet, resurrected body. And they hold the feet and with wonder and joy, they worship the resurrected Lord. In ancient times, very different to modern times, the testimony of a woman was not counted as true. It wasn't reliable, it wasn't permissible in court, yet the fact of the matter is, is that that's what happened. If the disciples wanted to make up a more credible story, they wouldn't have had the first people meeting Jesus as the women. But that's just how it happened. It's the Lord's mercy. The last two women to be with Jesus as he was buried are the first two to meet him upon his resurrection. All the men fled, all the men ran, but the women were courageous and bold to the end and they got up first and they met the Lord Jesus because they were truly seeking their joy. And so as they kneel on the ground and hold those beautiful feet, all that Jesus said was proven true that he would die bearing the weight of all of our sins, that he would be buried so that all of our sins would be buried with him. If you put your faith in Jesus, that's the good news of the burial that we saw on Easter Friday, that if you've sinned and you've confessed your sins to God, those sins are buried with Jesus in that grave and they don't rise again. But then the stone is rolled away and Jesus rises bodily. And we too, with Jesus Christ, will have a resurrection body. We won't be floating around in heaven as fat little chubby babies with harps. We'll be real people, real bodies with real feet, walking, talking, eating, feasting, laughing, making music, singing, working, in friendship, in relationship. And so that moment when they grab his feet proves that it was all true. Everything we've been waiting for in Matthew's gospel is now here. And so the Bible invites us to come and see 
so that we will have that fear and great joy like those women. So friends, I want to ask you this morning, have you found what you were looking for? Have you found a joy indestructible? A joy that is untouchable even by death. The joy that Jesus purchased for us, the joy that Jesus won for us, the joy that Jesus brings to us through his resurrection. Have you found that joy? And are you experiencing it? Because ultimately, we won't find the fullness of that joy here on earth. The great author, professor, essayist, C.S. Lewis said this, Christian uh, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Isn't it so true? Even the best, the highest of highs, the joy of joys we have, what happens here? They fade. You go to bed, you wake up, and you can't recreate it. As much as you want to grab onto it, like water through your fingers, it slips away. Why is that? Why can we never have perfect contentment and satisfaction now? Well... Because all the little joys we have are clues, hints, riddles, invitations to the greater joy that will await us when we, like the women, get to see the resurrected Lord Jesus for ourselves. They're clues, riddles and hints of the joy we will have because Jesus rose from the grave, that we will be in a resurrected body, in the eternal kingdom, in a place with no crying, no mourning, no sin, no sickness, no pain. We'll be with God the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. We'll have the joy of running and not growing weary, the joy of singing in tune with all our heart, which I'm looking forward to because I can never find the tune. The joy of feasting and fellowship with no discord. The joy of life and life to the full. And the resurrection of Jesus is an invitation to that joy. So friends, whether you're a Christian yet or not, or you're religious and you're not really following anymore, what's stopping you? from taking hold of the feet of Jesus and experiencing a foretaste of that true and everlasting joy this morning. The angel invites you, come and see the empty tomb. Believe and worship the Lord Jesus and you will know for sure that you will have that joy. Why are you seeking empty joys, hollow joys in shallow places? But you may be wondering, what do we do in the now and not yet? Okay, I believe in Jesus. Okay, I've taken hold. I'm a follower. But looking around at this world, 
There's a lot of sickness, sadness and pain now. There's not a lot of joy to be had in my life potentially. Well, the author David Mathis gives us some help about what to do about our joy in a broken world. He says this, Easter doesn't suppress our pain. It doesn't minimise our loss. It bids our burdens stand as they are in all their weight, with all their threats. And this risen Christ with the brilliance of indestructible life in his eyes says, these two I will claim in the victory. These two will serve your joy. These two, even these, I can make an occasion for rejoicing. I have overcome and you will more than conquer. He continues, Easter is not an occasion to repress whatever ails you and put on a happy face. Rather, the joy of Easter speaks tenderly to the pains that plague you. Whatever loss you lament, whatever burden weighs you down, Easter says this, and listen, it will not always be this way for you. The new age has begun. Jesus has risen and the kingdom of the Messiah is here. He has conquered death and sin and hell. He is alive and on his throne. And he is putting all your enemies, all your enemies under his feet. Not only will he remedy what's wrong in your life and bring glorious order to the mess and vanquish your foe, but he will make your pain, your grief, your loss, your burden through the deep magic of resurrection to be a real ingredient in your everlasting joy. You will not only conquer this one day soon, but you will be more than a conqueror. When he wipes away every tear, our face glistens more brilliantly than if we never would have cried. Easter announces in the voice of the risen Christ, your sorrow will turn to joy and no one will take your joy from you. Easter declares for all time that the one who has conquered death has now made it the servant of our joy. If you believe in Jesus, friends, no one can take your joy from you. It's guaranteed by the resurrection of Christ. It's guaranteed by the future kingdom. So have you found what you're looking for? As Tony Reinke said, if we miss the significance of the resurrection, we scamper past the greatest joy in the universe. And if you have found it, are you resting in that joy this Easter, knowing that you may be in a valley, you may be in a time of tears, you may be in a hard time, but your, so- your joy can never be ultimately taken away from you. Because Jesus' resurrection is an invitation to indestructible joy. And the angel invites you, and I invite you, and Christ invites you, come and see and experience the fullness of joy that only the resurrected Lord can bring. Let's pray. 
God, I pray and ask that you would give us that joy. We thank you that you rose your son from the grave, that it was real, that it really happened. That even in the face of death, even in the face of sorrow, even in the face of darkness, we know that in Christ we can have indestructible, unsnatchawayable joy and joy to the full. Fill our hearts with that joy this morning. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.